Hello and welcome to Podcast in Space, episode number 19. This 19. It, it's the 14th of November. 14. In 2018? I think 2000. it's still. And um, it's been a while since we podcasted because we released the game and have been working on it a lot. Um, and that's probably not a great excuse, but I think it's a reasonable excuse, so that's the one I'm going to use. Yeah, I think we, we got a little slacker with the podcasts because the game was in early access and y'all could could play it. Like You didn't need to take our word for things, you, you could play it. Yeah. That, that made sense to me. But then, I mean, some people are intentionally not playing it because they're waiting for 1.0 because they don't want to play uh, an early access game, which is fair. Yeah, I've, I've heard tell of people doing that. It makes sense to me. We, um, we're hoping to have the game out early next year. We're tentatively talking with uh, our publishers 505 about uh, late January as a, a good time to sort of finish adding features and things like that and fixing bugs, of course. But we'll sort of see how we go as we get closer to that date. But consider that a tentative thing for now. Oh, and also because, you know, we didn't say it before, and just in case someone hasn't listened to this before, I'm Alyssa, and this is Lee. Oh yeah, I'm Lee. She's not. Yep. Okay, so, um, what have we got on the to talk about list, other than everything? Well, yeah, so ordinarily on this podcast, we would talk to you about what we were working on, what it was going to be like in the final game, and all that sort of thing, and I feel like we should still sort of stick to that formula in case you're listening to the podcast and you haven't played the game yet. Um, but also because we're going to be covering a lot of uh, what we plan to do with the game between now and 1.0. So, um, first of all, the first thing we did after early access launch was fix a lot of bugs. Yeah, that dominated a lot of time, unsurprisingly. Yeah, we spent um, probably two weeks there just doing nothing but going over emails, finding new things that were causing crashes and uh, logic loops that were making uh, quests unfinishable and that sort of thing yeah it's it's pretty amazing that like even though you know we could have been testing one particular feature until our freaking eyes were bleeding and then somehow a couple of people on early access within moments will find stuff that somehow none of our testers or us ever found and it's 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 pretty amazing that that can happen well i think it's just partially because we're such a small team and we don't have a whole lot of different dev machines to test on and all that sort of thing like there's still one or two players out there that are still reporting crashes that just no one else is getting on very particular setups yeah and um sometimes yeah there's not much you can do about that there'll be some particular quirk with how something to do with the rendering engine fits with their graphics driver or something but on a slightly more positive note um, after June ended, and somewhere around the middle of July, we started actually adding things to the game and changing things and yeah. fixing things. Yeah, slowly, like with each update, the percentage that's new features versus the percentage that's bug fixes has started tipping in, um, in favor of, of features, of features, which yeah. is really cool. But, you know, the features brought with them brand new bugs. Yeah, there's always that. Yeah. That's been good, though. We've been keeping on track with... Uh, like. Throughout most of July and August, I think we were doing multiple updates a week, sometimes two or three in any given week. Um, and that's now slowed down a bit, mainly because like we were really committed to fixing as many bugs as possible and getting updates out there super quickly when there were crashes and things happening. But 
um, yeah, by the time the game got a lot more stable, by like, uh, you know, August or so, we sort of switched, and instead of being primarily concerned with, oh no, I need to fix this bug because it's causing crashes, it was, okay, we don't have anything that's super pressing, it's more a matter of, ah, oh, this feature's cool and can't wait to chuck it out there kind of thing. Um, so let's say one of the most demanded ones right out the gate was to do with time compression, which uh, currently you're allowed to speed up time to two or four times speed normal when you're traveling, and um, the alert system for that appeared directly in the middle of the screen and uh, went away after like a full two seconds and people were annoyed at that. So now that only happens if something bad is happening that requires your urgent attention. Um, that was one of the big ones. Yeah, there has been quite a few UI fixes and things like that um, since the beginning, or little minor tweaks as we find what people are using and how they're using it, and then trying to you know, gear things more towards the way in which most people tend to play. Yeah, so there's a, a whole bunch of stuff that's just come directly from forums or from emails from players and things like that. Um, like if you go into a store in uh, to you know, a mechanic or a trading post or something like that, you can now filter by the type of thing that you're looking for. Different bits of information now appear when taking contracts and that sort of stuff. Just a lot of it is user-friendly things that we wouldn't have noticed on our own because we're already so intimately familiar with how the systems work that we just don't need the info. Yeah, if you know the system back to front, it's easy to think that the UI is elegant because you already know it. And there's always things where you're like, oh, I suppose the wording on that button could be different or, you know, that makes more sense that, you know, shift-clicking in this way should do that or something. So one of the major ones that we did um, was we overhauled engineering and the power room. Um, in particular, we gave people the ability to throw out components. You've got your inventory and engineering of all your spare parts, but if that fills up, then you're screwed until you can get back to a starbase and sell the broken ones you don't want anymore. So now you can just jettison them into space. Um, and you also have the ability now to move modules around on your ship. So you've got all the different slots where modules go, and they have uh, different shapes to indicate what types of modules can go there. And we wanted to allow people to move them around because it kind of matters. Like, if you're, uh, if you get hit by a torpedo on the front of your ship, modules on the front are more likely to be damaged or broken. So if you want your modules to be like the ones that are key and safe, and uh, they're the ones that you definitely want to keep working until the bitter end, you want them inside the ship's primary hull, because that way, you know, a wing would have to get destroyed before your primary hull starts taking damage. So there's a few little strategic things like that. Um, I don't know, the, that overhaul was particularly useful. What about the power room? Well, the power room, we like the power room and the helm were the two stations we did earliest on. They were done back when we were like they were originally designed in terms of UI back when we had the game in 2D, and they were really quite simple. And then over time, the complexity of the underlying systems grew as we added features, you know, from the design document instead of the really minimalist prototype stuff. And at that point, we they, they started not being so useful because you'd see the power room and it basically duplicated what was in the engine room but didn't show you, show you a lot of the underlying stuff that you really needed to see, um, like reordering you know the priority of power systems and actually seeing proper projected power usage and uh, you know theoretical power usage versus actual power usage depending on the damage state of the modules, that kind of thing. So basically just took the same rough layout but then just made it, made it much more complex and um, uh, gave you much more freedom to see 
uh, and to see and modify what you're doing. So one of the other major things we did, we did uh, the scenarios update, which was uh, fairly recently. And that one added a bunch of different modes that you can play that are not the open world for people who just want to jump in and have a quick scenario where they've got to get from A to B or to try and sneak from A to B without being seen, to try and take out a particular ship and it'll be like part of a convoy with escorts and stuff like that. Um, to defend a space station from incoming pirates. So there's a bunch of those that um, we put together, which uh, we rolled out just as a, yeah, uh, just as a sort of one big way for people to play the game that wasn't the open world. Um, and then we added the sandbox, which was another separate update, which allowed you to enter the open world and disable all story content and just play endlessly running around making money uh, and all that sort of thing. Um, but with the sandbox mode, we also added a series of options for how you start the game. And this was something which was, I don't know, I, I think is particularly cool, which is that if you want to boost or reduce the difficulty of the combat, you can, but you can also separately boost or reduce the difficulty of the economy. So if you're if you're big time into submarine sims and you really want to play this game as a hardcore sub-sim, um, you can just crank the difficulty on the combat all the way up. And if you're just not interested in the economic aspects of it all, you can make that super easy and yeah, you'll just find that you're making money hand over fist much more quickly. Or there's the reverse as well. And yeah, as well as that, uh, if you select sandbox mode, you can choose where you want to start. One of the fun challenges is to set everything to like the hardest difficulty and then start in a star system where there's no jump gate. So the only way to make money is to do contracts that are within that star system until you've got enough money for a jump drive. That's always fun. And we also let players start with uh, some cash in their pocket if they want to. Mainly just, uh, we sort of added all these options as a kind of play your own way type thing. And yeah, if you're mainly interested in it for the story, you can just crank the difficulty on everything down to easy. Um, if you're more interested in economy, you can make that more challenging. And conversely, you can. there's now options to turn off the tutorial initial stuff or to turn off all of the narrative stuff entirely. So you just get the procedurally generated content if that's what you want to focus on. Yeah. Um, so what else? There was also, we've added secondhand ships. Yeah, that was really cool. So kind of partly inspired by Street Rod. Um, we did a thing that generates secondhand ships with certain amounts of damage and things like that, but it generates them and also generates little bits of text to sort of, um, uh, you know, like a sales notice. Like if you're reading in the, uh, reading a little sort of, uh, thing as written like, by the like person who owned it. Like a classified ad. Yeah, like a classified ad. <laughs> sort of going like, for sale, one secondhand series three class uh, ship has used to do such and such a run between these star systems and whole bunch of little things like that and some of it's actually relevant um and some of it's essentially just fun flavor text but either way like it's i don't know um we think that it adds quite a bit to be able to sort of when you're looking at secondhand chips to purchase or something or like oh this one's really good and he's got a jump drive but it's got some damage to this system or something like that and has like you know it sort of gives the, the ship that you're buying a bit of character and we've also allowed there to be a little bit more interaction with some of the npc ships and things like that pirates will uh fire at uh, any merchants that they see that uh, that are carrying cargo 
and try and convince them to drop that cargo, and occasionally a merchant will. The player can, if they're being shrewd, swoop in and get to the cargo before the pirate, although there's a high chance the pirate will just then shoot at them next. And the authority ships don't particularly take kindly to piracy going on, and so they'll get involved as well. Um, but yeah, a lot of this stuff is just all bits and pieces that we've been adding over the last several months. How long's it been now? It's November, so six... Five months. Five months, yeah. Five months Closing in on half a year since Early Access began. Yeah. So, what are we working on right now? What are you working on today? Uh, today I'm doing player... Uh, I'm adding the ability for uh, players to hail other ships and basically engage in piracy. And also to be able to, when you like hack other ships, you can find out that, you know, they say in their IFF that they've got, they're carrying like iron, but they're not, they're carrying something else, which clearly means they're smuggling. So I'm also adding the ability to be able to like hail a, a police vessel and go, hey, uh, this person is a smuggler. Mm. Or to go, hey, police, there's a pirate ship operating in this quadrant, and then the police will actually go and try and hunt them down. So it's it's further, like the, the piracy thing for players is going to be major. That's going to be interesting to test. And as you pointed out just a couple of hours ago, that would give the players the ability to uh, falsely tell the police that there's a pirate in a different quadrant just to get the authority ships to get out of your way so that you can get up to nefarious business. Yeah, exactly. And so we need to try and make sure everything's balanced like that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's what we're currently working on. So that's also going to be interesting because it just means I'm basically doing proceed, like semi-procedural conversations you can have with certain ships. So it also gives us more freedom in the future to do things like have the ability to hail a random merchant and go, hey, how are you doing? If we really wanted to. Yeah, we were talking about that might be a really useful way of getting a few tips in there. It's just a matter of like writing all of the things that merchants yeah. might reply with and not wanting it to be something where it starts to repeat too quickly and that sort of thing so people don't find it too boring. Yeah. But yeah, the ability to hail other ships in general is something that will add a lot of texture to the world, so hopefully yeah, it'll be so. cool. Um, so there's two major things that we're still yet to add before 1.0. One of them is that uh, the Linux version is still very much on our list. Sorry, Linux players, we are getting there. Well, I mean, it's it doesn't seem like quite such a major urgency at the moment because Steam has an automatic ability now to, yeah. to run games through Wine, and we've had quite a few players have said that it, it works just fine. Um, we'd obviously still like to get a native version, but it's really nice to hear that that's kind of working fairly smoothly. Does that mean it's going to be easier to make the Linux version? No, no difference. It's, it's okay. just... It means that it's not quite so urgent to some degree, but um, I mean, it depends. I don't, I haven't actually seen it working through that, so I don't know quite what the performance is like. It's probably going to be a bit faster, which is always good uh, yeah. for the native version. Well, we're definitely going to hit the Linux version before we drop the game at 1.0, so uh, yes, it's very much happening. Um, and the other one is the scenarios that we've added. We're going to have uh, multiplayer versions yeah. of those. Yeah, so that's much of... Um, I actually just bought a new laptop, uh, partly because I need to have two computers sitting next to me like very easily to be able to do this. Uh, but we're hitting the point where um, we did have multiplayer in a very early alpha, and then it didn't become the fo it wasn't a focus, and so it kind of fell by the wayside, but the feature is still there. Was there much that's reusable from the code you put together? All of it. I just have to make sure that I haven't... Because there'll be new features we've added that don't sync correctly with the network code now, so that's what I'm going to have to actually fix up. Mm. Um, so, yeah, after I do, do the current selection of things, I'm going to be moving back onto multiplayer. Uh, I was working on it the other week, and so we've got, like, you know, the lobby code and connection codes working again. So 
that's um how much of it is you creating the ui for the lobby interfaces versus the actual network code well the network code was pretty much already done i had to change one or two very minor things but like the lobby code the actual ui code for the lobby certainly took more time than than anything that wasn't already written i think whenever we mention multiplayer people seem to immediately ask oh, can we both be on the one ship um and yes yeah, te- technically yes. We just haven't really balanced the game in such a way that it's really intended to do that. But you absolutely can have multiple people controlling the same ship, seeing so one person on sensors or engineering, another person doing nav screens or something. Um, we would like to sort of do a tweak to rebalance where you can play a version of the ship that's a bit more beefy and has more functionality and you know a bit more like big capital ship battles or something. But Honestly, like everything else, we're just going to need to see what kind of reception the game gets in terms of, like, you know, if we're getting good sales and and, uh, can afford to continue to develop really interesting multiplayer stuff, then that's something we'd like to do. But uh, as with most things, it's somewhat limited by our need to pay rent, unfortunately. So, um, 1.0, we're looking to get there probably sometime uh, late January, but that's to be determined. Um, what I've been doing while, like, a lot of the stuff that we've mentioned so far has been primarily Alyssa, um, but with some of the new features that have been getting dropped in there to do with NPC interaction and stuff like that has been a whole bunch of back-end logic that I've been able to use to make NPC ships do a lot more. So there are now ships that can be on a patrol route, and if they detect the player, they will fire. There are um, the abil- there's the ability to have when this happens do this type stuff with AIs so players can now be tailed by AI ships um, AI ships can run away despawn spawn on command they can uh, try to pretend that they're a merchant and go super stealth there's all of this stuff that's been slowly getting added into the game so when we launched in um, uh, in June. We had about, I'm going to say, 60% of the stories that are in the game actually in there and active. Um, But the 60% that were in there were the 60% that didn't really require anything terribly mechanically intricate. So basically the remaining 40% is what I've been working on for the last two months or so. Um, And zeroing in on getting it all ready for launch. And what we want to do is just put it all in there in one hit at 1.0 so that um yeah anyone who's been playing the game up until now if they jump back in and start a new game on launch day is just going to find the world is twice as dense with twice as many characters to meet and talk to and that sort of thing and all of the new content that's in there is going to be much more mechanically interesting for the player so the simplest stuff that was the initial 60 percent is usually just take a passenger from a to b and that sort of thing yeah um but yeah, this stuff will have, you know, you're heading out here to pick up a probe, but then a ship spawns, threatens you with a torpedo, unless you head back to a nearby starbase. And when you're on that starbase course, it'll follow you there. And if you deviate from the path at any point, they'll destroy you. And like all kinds of things like that can now happen. So the content that is going to be in there will be much sort of richer in terms of the play experience. Yeah, the way we've kind of approached early access is early access is so that we can get players playing with the mechanics and giving us feedback and saying what they do and don't like about it. But we didn't want to obviously keep throwing in half-finished, you know, narrative stories for for players to look at. So it's uh, it uh, made sense for us to sort of 
keep throwing in more features and, and getting feedback on that while uh, even though we've been working on story content the whole time not keep releasing it so that it, um, yeah it's, it's as Lee says a much more uh, fulfilling uh, story on release day and it hasn't been something that people just kind of ignore if there's a new story every week or something like that yeah I, I just kind of got a little like new stories were becoming ready and I'm like yeah cool so we want to roll out a thing where we send out a message to everyone on a new update that says, hey, there's a new story if on the 14th of November you are in the Kansas star system and currently have no passenger but do have a jump drive equipped, then one new story. But like, No one's going to want to go, oh, cool, I'm going to start an entirely new game because my current save game is on November 15 and you know play all the way up to November 14 to experience this new, game, this new story. That didn't quite make sense. So, yeah... Uh, People seem to have been relatively happy so far with the amount of work that we've put into making all the systems and things better and adding to the procedural content in the world and the ways in which you can interact with it. And then when we do a uh, story update, it will be one very large one. Although I have to admit, it's kind of... It's strange getting so close to the end of development and looking at how tight the pipeline is that we've created for getting ideas and going like going from I have a cool idea from a story for a story into gameplay like that it's you know taken years to get stories off the ground and now we can have all this mechanically intricate stuff so I think the likelihood that post launch regardless of what's going on I'm sort of sitting there going hmm that would make a cool story and just kind of want to drop something else in just in secret and like not not make a big deal about it on the uh, messages or the mailing blasts or anything that's something I could see myself doing <laughs> alright what so, else I think that's that's everything up to 1.0 yeah um, well I guess we can call it a call it a wrap there that's yeah. about a 20 minute or so podcast um, thank you very much for listening everyone and for playing the game um, we as we're still responding to emails that we get sent via the objects beta at gmail.com yep. email address. And, and occasionally um, occasionally on the objects forums on objectsgame.com as well, although I have to admit not the last week or so I've been alternating pretty much exclusively between um, work and uh, possibly playing a bit too much Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, I'm very glad that didn't come out at any time that was close to a pivotal moment around launch for objects or anything because that's that would have been difficult I, i've been doing a thing where i'll do a task in objects in space and reward myself with the task in red dead and i'll make the task in red dead roughly the same size so yeah yeah that's oh look I, I finished implementing all the animations for one of these new stories and i wrote myself two story missions in red dead 2 or one yeah. hunting expedition or whatever it is uh, yeah i, I open world games are just amazing fun to play and it's nice to have a new fantastic brilliant one to to toy with i have to admit there's a lot of uh references to rockstar games littered throughout objects in space in subtle ways usually just the names of ships or characters or something like that will be a reference to a developer or a um a town or something like that and lucas arts games and oh, uh yeah. and sierra adventure games things. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard mm. enough to put tons of little tiny sort of um, references in for anybody who they also happen to resonate with. I got a great compliment last night. Um, a fellow developer came up to me and said that they really appreciated that all the names in Objects in Space were so damn weird. 
they all felt like they just belonged somewhat in a different century, like they were from the 1900s or something. And uh, yeah, I, we did want to make the names very international to represent like a, you know, a future in which things aren't all uh, very, very Western. But also we wanted them to be names that didn't quite feel like it was 2018. So you won't get too many like, you know, Ben, Dave, Sarah and Jen type stuff, but you'll get a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of names that were just a little uh, uncommon enough that you've probably heard them before, but you definitely don't know anyone named that. Yeah, the ones that sit at the bottom of the census list, not in the popular top section. Yeah. Well, we should wrap it up there, but we'll hopefully do another podcast in the near future. All right, well, we'll do that and have fun and enjoy flying. Bye.